1 Thessalonians 4.13 to 18. So in my translation, this has the heading, The Comfort of Christ's Coming. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up, in, up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And just so you know, the notes for today uh, are in the church app if you have that on your phone. I think that final verse is really important. Encourage one another with these words. When I was growing up, these words and others like them in the Bible weren't necessarily a source of encouragement. They were often a source of controversy. And I don't know if that's still the case for you. Um, people held very passionate views about whether they were a pre-tribber, a mid-tribber, or a post-tribber, uh, someone who believed the rapture would come before, during, or after the Great Tribulation, whether you were pre, post, or uh, amillennial, so you believe uh, that the, the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ, that Revelation speaks about is literal thousand years or whether it's symbolic for something else. Who the beast of the book of Revelation was or is or will be, what the mark of the beast means. And uh, it, it spurred many uh, uh, bestseller and the odd B grade movie thriller as well. If you don't know what I'm talking about today, you're blessed. <laughs> Despite the controversies and the conspiracy sometimes about uh, the end times, the hope of Christ's return is one of the great promises of the gospel. And that's why, historically speaking, during Advent, uh, particularly those that follow um, the annual readings, often look at the second coming of Christ as part of their readings uh, and, and what they do during Advent. We don't only remember what Jesus came for in the past, but we remember that he's coming again in the future. Now, it's not my intention to go into details about dates and timings and all that sort of thing today. Uh, if you're hoping for a timeline, I'm sorry, I don't know what it is. I can't give it to you. So don't be disappointed. And please don't send me hate mail if I preach something that's not according to your view of Revelation because I know that there's lots of views and we're not talking about Revelation today anyway. What I want to focus on is the hope of the promise of Christ's return and, and what it means for us, the hope it brings to us. So Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica, which is in modern-day Greece, 
Uh, and he, he says later on that they knew about the sorts of things he's writing about. But obviously they had picked up somewhere along the line that although they knew Jesus was coming, they had in mind that he was coming in their lifetime. And now people were dying and they weren't quite sure what to do with that. What does this mean? People are dying. It's a little bit like, you remember the disciples of Jesus said on the night he was betrayed and, and as he was about to be crucified, are you going to restore the kingdom now, Jesus? And he's like, no, not yet. They, they, they just didn't get the timing of the whole thing. The culture of their day had a very hazy view of death. Um, some people, probably a lot of people, thought that your existence just ended when you died. Uh, it was common uh, view that you became sort of an insubstantial spirit. You went to Hades and there you lived a, a shadowy existence and sort of just faded away. Your final condition might depend on a judgment by the gods, how good you were or bad you were during your lifetime. Uh, and I don't think that's a comforting criterion in anyone's book. And when you think of those views, as I look around the world today, particularly Australia, it's actually not so different. I deal with a lot of people who are grappling with questions around death. And what I found is the average Aussie doesn't have a clear view of death. What happens next? Most have a vague hope about going to heaven or somewhere better, but they don't really have a, a concrete idea of what that means or any real idea of why they believe it. In fact, sometimes their life and their hope for the future seem quite at odds with each other. And, you know, in fact, Christianity is a little bit unclear on some of the teachings of what happens after we die as well. It's what we call the intermediate state. Uh, it's the time between our death and then the resurrection when the, the dead are raised in Christ. Some people think that because the Bible uses the language of falling asleep and, and Paul uses that in uh, this passage... God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Some people think that, oh, well, that means that when we die, we're sort of our soul is unconscious. It's called soul sleep. Uh, but this actually isn't the case when we read the rest of Scripture. This phrase that someone has fallen asleep is just a euphemism for, for death. Like we might say someone's passed away. Doesn't mean they went anywhere. Their body's still right here. What the Bible gives us certainty about is that whatever ever happens after we die, that we are safe in Christ. And Jesus said, uh, so this is John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And Paul wrestled with the pros and cons, actually, of living. So he's writing to the Philippians, he's in prison, he's not sure what's going to happen, he could be facing a death sentence, it's, am I going to live, am I going to die? I don't actually know how to pray about this. I don't know if I want to live or want to die because, he says in Philippians 1.23, I am torn between the two, 
I long to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. So Paul understood, and we see this in his other writings, that this mortal body passing away meant that he was translated into the presence of Jesus. So I think it's fair to say Paul certainly didn't believe in soul sleep. But the Bible actually doesn't tell us much more than this, that when we die, we win Jesus. I, I think that's good enough for me. And Paul is vague uh, on this in this letter, and probably many others as well, because he's not so concerned about what happens when we die, but what happens here, he's writing to the Thessalonians about what happens to the dead when Christ returns. And because the Christian hope isn't so much what happens at the end of a life, although it is that, the Christian hope is what happens at the end of everything. Jews and Christians both believe in a day of the Lord, and this is a day of judgment. And the Bible uses all sorts of very strong language about it. And Paul actually mentions this in the next chapter in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.2, he says, For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. But for those of us who are in Christ, this isn't something to be feared. It's a day of salvation when evil is destroyed and righteousness triumphs. And Jesus spoke about this when he was on earth. He said in Matthew 24, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. So Jesus is using a lot of symbolic language here. He, he lifts language straight out of the book of Daniel, which uh, leans into a lot of what we call apocalyptic language. Um, and, and that had a lot of symbolism like the book of Revelation does. But he's talking about his second coming, and this is the event that Paul is talking about in First Thessalonians. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will be risen first. So, as much as I might like to avoid it, I can't actually talk about this stuff without talking about the so-called rapture. That word isn't used in the Bible, but uh, particularly here and in some other places. There's a rapture-like event where people are swept up into the sky to meet Jesus. One of those controversies when I was young. So, you know, some of the questions were, when does it happen in relation to the Great Tribulation? When does the rapture happen in regard to Christ's return? And some people thought that the rapture happened and then we went away with Jesus and then Jesus actually came again. So there's sort of two returns and, yeah, all sorts of theories. But for Paul, uh, the rapture and the second coming are actually one event. Paul isn't talking about Jesus coming and sweeping believers up into the sky and taking them away and then coming back later. The language Paul is using here, I said I wasn't going to get into times of controversy, was I? But like I say, please don't send me home, mate. 
But the language Paul is using here is, is the language of what the Greek uh, called parousia. And it was the word they used when an emperor was coming to visit a city. Not to conquer a city, but to visit a city. Big party. Everyone came out of the city shouting and cheering because that's what you do with emperors or else you get into trouble. And, and then they follow the emperor and the emperor's parade back into the city. And this is the image that Paul is talking about for Christians, except that we won't be compelled to. <laughs> we'll be really happy to. That Jesus is going to come down as the returning king to his people, and his people will be swept up to see him, will shout and cheer, and will join that procession as he enters the city. And in fact, scholars uh, in this, this reading today see an allusion to Psalm 47. And Psalm 47 says, Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a jubilant cry, for the Lord, the Most High, is awe-inspiring, a great king over the whole earth. He subdues people under us and nations under our feet. He chooses for us our inheritance, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God ascends among shouts of joy, the Lord with the sound of a ram's horn. Sing praise to God. Sing praise. Sing praise to our King. Sing praise. Sing a song of wisdom, for God is King of the whole earth. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the people have assembled with the people of the God of Abraham. For the leaders of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. So what we have here, it says ascended, going up. What does, how does that relate to what Paul's talking about, Jesus coming back? But the language of ascension happens a lot in, in relation to the second coming as well. Because it's the idea, particularly imagine Jerusalem and Mount Zion, the, the, the Temple Mount. And a king going up to the temple to worship or be enthroned, in this case. And all the people thronging after them. And this is the image uh, that we have that Paul has that Jesus in his parousia is coming back to his own to take up the throne. Well, what's this got to do with the Thessalonians? Well, the Thessalonians were concerned about their brothers and sisters who had passed away, who had fallen asleep, who were dead. What, what's going to happen to them when all this happens? Do they miss out? How does this work? And Paul says, don't worry about it. They'll be part of it. God's got this. And this is a crucial thing. So much of the Christian faith comes up to this. God's got this because he's done it before. When did he do it? In verse 14. I'm going to read this from the Revised English Bible because it makes it pretty clear. This is a little bit of a tricky passage. Because it has this, in, in my translation and maybe yours, it sort of has this image of, of Jesus coming back and uh, mine says, um, he'll bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So it's this image of the dead from heaven coming with Jesus with him. But actually, the Revised English Bible puts it this way, which actually makes what Paul's intention is clearer. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And, and this is the key. God's done it before because he did it in Jesus. The resurrection 
has already begun. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. So too will God bring those who died as Christians to be with Jesus. The dead are lifted up in him and at the resurrection the bodies are raised to be with him. Because Jesus died and rose again, we have the assurance that those who have died in him will rise in him on the last day. Okay, so why is this important? Well, what we believe about the end of a thing very much makes a difference to how we live through it or in it or look forward to the end. And in fact, the end of a thing is often what drives us. Think, think about it. If you dream about being a nurse or an engineer or maybe a pianist or a writer or a painter or anything, you have a dream of becoming something or a goal to walk, work towards, then you dedicate yourself to that thing. You'll endure sleepless nights for it. You'll endure stress for it because you have this vision of what the end will be, of, of it being fulfilled and what life is going to be like in that. And so you'll deny yourself many pleasures. You'll go without money for a while because you know that there's going to be a greater reward at the end of it so that you can achieve your dream. Although we've had it very easy here in Perth, many of you dream of reconnecting with friends and family after COVID and the borders come down. And that anticipation, although sometimes it fills us with a heart sickness, but it also keeps us going through the midst of everything because we can see an end coming. And as Christians, we dream of the day when Christ returns. That day when we both living and dead are raised up and transformed into his likeness to live with him forever in his kingdom on a renewed earth. And that hope, let it, let it drive us. Inform the way we live, drive the way we live as we wait in anticipation of our King's return with our eyes fixed on Him. That is the hope of the second coming. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we are a people of hope. You have given us hope in Jesus. Father, that we don't just follow rules and traditions, because what would be the point of that? But that we see Jesus crucified, buried, raised again, and exalted, and coming again. Father, may we live as people who are leaning into that future. And may that reality of the future start bleeding into the present for us as well. In Jesus' name.